So we're back with one more episode, uh, and this podcast is with Kedar Apte, who is the head of marketing at Castrol. Um, he's run roles across multinationals, so he's been with Castrol BP. He's been with Unilever. Uh, he talks in this episode about the fantastic link between sales and marketing. He talks about his first stint in sales, where you know, guy in the city of Mumbai is transported to Kerala and really shaking his senses up to be able to learn how to understand the consumer better. Uh, he then talks about how, he, as his career moves, how he moves into the cockpit of marketing and all the complex variables of marketing. He explains them in so much simplicity as well as it's it's a tale that is fantastic because there's so many takeouts, so many practical takeouts. He talks also, you know, this fantastic part in the episode where he talks about what you can do in sales when a retailer is not necessarily buying your brand and about the power of persistence. There's so many timeless lessons in this episode. I really hope you enjoy listening to this one. So Kedar, thanks so much for uh, honoring us by being part of this conversation. And uh, you know, there are very few people that I've had the chance to speak to who have such a diverse experience in both sales and in marketing. And uh, you know, they always say that to be good with marketing, you need to, to be really great with marketing, you need to understand sales. I don't know if that's, that's correct. But uh, you know, like I've heard a lot of people saying that, but uh, in your experience, having lived through both these worlds of sales and marketing, why do you think, you know, the great marketers are also the ones who do great sales? So first of all, it's my pleasure to be here, Rashila. Always great to meet you. Right now, you know what you said, I think is true, but I would not make it a generic rule. Okay. Right. There are, you know, exceptions to everything. Hmm. But yes, I think, uh, you know, if you have experience in sales, it definitely helps you market better. Okay. Uh, because see, what is marketing? Marketing is about understanding customers hmm. and managing the needs. Right. Right. And where you're in a sales role, you get an opportunity to meet customers and understand them better. Got it. So let me take my own example. You know, I was born and brought up in Mumbai, educated in Mumbai. So I was not really ready to market to India. Correct. Uh, and my first sales manager stint Hmm. was in Kerala, hmm. right? And very interesting experience, right? So if you know you and I walk, okay? And if we're chatting, we'll probably miss a lot of things. Right. But you know, if I blindfold you and take you from point A to point B, you will listen, you know, far more. That's what happened to me in Kerala. Yeah. Because yeah. I did not understand the language, hmm. I started observing people, right? I, I started reading the expressions. Right. And marketing is all about getting those emotions right. Wow. And you know, in my stint in Kerala, since I could not speak the language, hmm. I developed a good understanding of facial expressions, right? So gradually I started understanding what people said. Yeah. And in my three years of sales stint, I, I, I traveled so much uh, in the state, in a lot of geographies. Hmm. I got a lot of understanding of different customers, started reading their expressions. So when it came, uh, when I came to marketing, it was much easier speaking to customers, yeah. understanding their emotions, and also in sales, when you're in sales, when you're in the market, you normally you know, go to the market every day, you meet a different retailer. A lot of learning happens by just observing how people buy. Right. And whenever I used to be in the market, I would just not, not talk to the retailer, but I would spend a lot of time observing people when they come to a shop, what do they ask? What is their interaction, right? Hmm. In fact, not only the shoppers, but the shopkeeper or the shop boy, as they say, is a huge wealth of information because he's doing it day in and day out. Hmm. So I used to interact a lot. And that's how I gained that knowledge of understanding customers. And when I moved to marketing, that stint in sales hmm. really helped me understand customers you know, and their emotions a, much better. such a great point you make about, actually you made two great points here, you know, one, one great point for somebody at, I guess, any phase in their career, you know, this idea of the blindfold that you speak about or the jolting your senses, um, you know, so there's actually three, four great points. One is this jolting your senses. The second is a guy from Mumbai, not ready to market to India and this power of observation that you speak about. Yeah. Um, I want to focus a bit more on this power of observation. You know, a lot of people say that it's, you know, when you say observe the customer, uh, 
um, you know, can you give some practical tips because a lot of us in marketing, you know, we, we don't know necessarily how to observe the customer. So like some practical tips, like how, you know, like where do you sit? What do you watch for? Uh, you know, what is it when you talk about these facial expressions and signs and, you know, really getting under the skin of the customer? How do you do that? How did you do that at that point? Yeah, sure. So first of all, you know, first golden rule, never intercept a conversation that is happening between the retailer and the consumer, right? right. Take a step back. Hmm. You can either, uh, and actual makes you do that. You actually sit inside a shop when you're new right? and just almost act like a shop boy hmm. and observe consumers. But if, if you're not inside the shop, you step back, hmm. you stand at the side, observe consumers and after they uh, do the shopping, then say, okay, I can talk something you. Or after the consumer has left, you speak to the retailer and say, what did he or she hmm. come? Hmm. Uh, what did she come and ask, right? Hmm. What did she mention? Did she mention the name of the brand? Did she just say, I want a skin cream? Right. right. So you try to understand that and then sometimes you engage with some consumers, ask them more questions hmm. and there, what they're saying is less important, right? Hmm. In marketing, actually the emotions. So you need to be able to read the emotions, the passion, because sometimes when the consumers talk about something, hmm. their face lights up, right. right? And it's really a trick to ask the right questions. So for right. example, uh, when uh, I was in uh, a consumer household visit in Tamil Nadu, hmm. I was trying to understand what hamam soap means to consumers. Hmm. Right? The question I asked uh, a lady, an uh, old lady, was if hamam did not exist, what would you do? Hmm. Right? And she did not know an answer. Right? She was thinking and her grandson came and said she would stop bathing. Right? And you know, grandmother almost resonated with it. Hmm. So you need to ask the right questions just don't ask the obvious and just don't take every word for a given. Hmm. Say why, why, why and hmm. then also observe the expressions. You know, when, yeah. when you see that smile on the face, when you see the consumer's eyes lit up, hmm. I think that's when, you know, the sort of insight happens. Right, right. And you know, uh, it's, it's a great point that you speak about, about not intercepting or not rubbing your own personality onto the consumer. You know, and I think one thing I always admired about you is how you have a slightly more kind of hands, I would say hands off or slightly more like, you know, you can, you can go to the bird's eye pretty yeah. quickly. Um, and, you know, so what is it that when you're speaking to consumers also, what is the, what is the demeanor you bring? You know, like, because it's easy to say, ask the why, but like some people, they just want to rub on, you know, like their own personality, they want to put in their own instances. So. You know, what are some of the things you got to be careful about when you're when you're doing that? Yeah. So you know, first first of all, when you go uh, and, and meet a consumer, right? Sometimes marketers do a lot of consumer household visits. Hmm. It's important not to be seen as an authority or right. a hotshot marketer, right? But almost as uh, you know, a friend hmm. or someone they can relate to. Right. So I always start my conversations with a normal conversation to make make that person feel comfortable right and suppose uh, i was in household care once hmm. right hmm. so the idea was to understand the kitchen cleaning habits right right and you know you start with a general conversation with the housewife and then come to dishes right and so do you think it's a chore who does it do you like doing it how do you do it and i often would say okay can can we go to the kitchen hmm. right and that's when you know she would be comfortable you observe the kitchen sink, you observe the you know, tiles, you observe what she is using and so on. Got it. So idea is to first make that customer comfortable hmm. and then almost uh, somehow try to get into the territory where you can actually observe that consumer behavior hmm. in action because actually looking at that kitchen or uh, going to a bathroom when you are you know, looking at a, a cleaner. Huh. Right, that actually is more insightful, just rather than a drawing room conversation, which can be Absolutely. very generic. Yeah, I mean that, that's a great point actually, because you know not too many people who do field research, they go to the area where the action of the product is happening, and I think that's a that's a that's a super point. So, and and I think the other point that you're making about is also observe that area of the action, because how is the sink laid out? You know, are there lots of dishes kept? Are there not? You know, I mean there would be so many permutations, combinations, and yeah. then then affect. Uh, now, if you if you look at that, you know, that whole bit of the observation there, 
does that affect sales in any way like the sales process you know what what you do as a sales manager does you know do you do also a lot of insight work when you're doing the sales process yeah so absolutely so in fact uh, you know as an area sales manager or uh, as a regional sales manager you go and meet customers right i think the same process applies right mm. because i talked about marketing consumers have a need and as right. a marketer you're trying to fulfill that need right sales is no different right mm. customers have a need it's about understanding that need and understanding the insights because if you go uh, to a customer right normally uh, uh, if you go uh, in a in a sales tent to a uh, store they normally say no 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 you know your products don't sell right. something else sells right. right right and then you try to understand why is that person saying right and the way i have counter countered that actually is to just stand there for some time hmm. right and the next five consumers come ask for your product hmm. they say aisa nahi hai bikta bhi hai aapka and then you say acha but kyu bol rahe the kya hmm. pareshani hai hmm. then they start talking and then it's really close to marketing where understanding that need and right. then trying to solve that need and you know in marketing we have uh, a, a term hmm. which is called surface issue and root issue hmm. right surface issue is what people talk first right right it's what you hear first right but if you try to solve that that's an issue you're not solving the underlying issue correct and that's why i talked about why 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 or what 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 you need to dig ah. two or three levels deeper understand the core issue of why that person is saying that right. and then try to solve that issue so that your surface issue gets solved so very very similar yeah that's so fascinating you know and i think even in the demeanor when you talk about when you talk about just stand at the stand at the retail shop see the five sales see that the customers asking for it then talk to him again i think that standing just showcases more intent from from the person's end and that's what makes a really good sales person also i guess um, yeah you know there are two routes that now the conversation is taking me but i'll take a small detour before i come on to the main route so the link between the sales and marketing is the main conversation i guess but you know we also now starting to live increasingly in an omni channel world you know e-commerce is becoming a significantly strong part of sales channels and you know that's where a lot of a lot of consumers are buying their products with as well uh, some of these things that you speak about uh, i think it still be relevant in terms of knowing the consumer but you know in your observation what are some of the rules of the game that have changed with the coming in of e-commerce particularly from a sales standpoint you know as as far as you've been observing the way markets evolved yeah so first i think there is a lot of choice i mean it's yeah it, it's a commonly known point hmm. that 10 years back or 15 years back when i started my marketing career hmm. consumers had less choice hmm. and now especially in the last few years they they have a lot of choice and they have a lot of information now right where they can compare so for anything uh, you know they need they they compare they look at four to five options hmm. they look at uh, how customers are reacting hmm. so i think that is really the first thing uh, that i changed there's a lot of choice and uh, there is not just one seller i mean earlier like 20 years back uh, there used to be shortage of some products right right now there is not only uh one brand there's several brands but there are also several channels which sort of compete with each other correct and i think that's really it's it's important to understand that customer journey hmm. of which customer is going where to what channel and why right and then define your channel strategy well got it got it so yeah that's i mean that's that's actually a very very good point in terms of um defining the customer defining the channel strategy and then defining your weightages on top of that and i think that's a function of uh, price elasticity of markets it's also about you know what the customer needs in terms of uh, quality at that point in time within their lifestyle and i guess that's where some of these aspects which you spoke about of really knowing the customer absolutely and then and then fitting in and i think you know just as a as a do you think also that perhaps this art of knowing the consumer because you know we also i guess we are in a in a age where from man years we have moved to dog years you know like the world is moving so much faster than it used to so perhaps this knowing the consumer in your experience have you seen the consumer getting more changing much faster and evolving much faster than they have at any any given point in time earlier than in your career yes absolutely i, I would mention a couple of things one is adoption of new categories hmm. is much faster hmm. right because uh, 
the consumer, the ecosystem is evolving, the technology is evolving, the access to technology is much easier. Right. So adoption of new categories is, is much faster. Hmm. And it's similar to jobs, right? My, my father never changed his job in 30 years, yeah. right? But next generation sort of wants to do an, an experiment and, and so on. Right. Right. Uh, I think that's the first point in terms of adoption. Second is uh, earlier, the belief was you require a lot of hard work to acquire a customer. But once you acquire a customer, you almost have him for the lifetime. Yeah. Right. And people used to have that concept of lifetime value. Correct. Now that had changed completely. Hmm. Right. Because consumers can actually come fast. They can go much faster. Hmm. Right. So the assumptions on the customer uh, life cycle value has have also changed because right. the overall loyalty I believe has reduced right. because of the plethora of choices hmm. and the ease with which a consumer now can change his brands. Yeah. So, you know, as somebody who governs large businesses, you know, and typically I've known your approach a little bit, you are a, you know, you are almost like, you know, you have this, you'll make a big bet and then you'll, you know, you'll follow through with that big bet. And you have a world today which is significantly more volatile. So what brings you conviction when you're making some of those large bets that you're making? You know, I mean, you made a few large bets over the last, you know, your last few years in your career. So, uh, you know, what, what, maybe you can talk about something specific if, you know, you, a large bet that you would have made despite a volatile market, which you made it and it's stuck. Okay. So, so first is, you know, you just don't make uh, bets only on, on your beliefs. You really need to test them. Okay. Yeah. So that is first. I think it first comes with strategy. It comes with great understanding of customer uh, based on your objectives, defining that strategy to put all the routes through that, you know, test of what is going to deliver. Right. Okay. There is a bit of gut. So just to give you an example, uh, a, a few years back, uh, Castrol was a very, very strong consumer brand, hmm. right? But in terms of uh, mechanic, uh, in terms of mechanic advocacy, there were other brands that were also uh, very, very popular. Hmm. And that's when I took a bet on driving mechanic advocacy by explaining uh, to mechanics hmm. not only the product benefits, but by actually uh, giving a lot of respect to that profession. Hmm. Okay, so we had a three-pronged approach. One is uh, we completely changed the game on, on every pack of Castrol packs, we would give, you know, a benefit to the consumer, right? And earlier, we used to give some, you know, coupons where consumers would go to a, a shop, they would give those coupons to the shop, shop would give it to the distributor, distributor would give it to the company, the whole chain was about three months. And uh, with advent of technology, we actually introduced like a code inside a cap we encourage mechanics to open bank accounts and now consumers open the pack, they just scan those coupons and get money in their accounts. Mm. So that was first, mm. right? The second was training. Now in India, a lot of mechanics are not... Uh, so sorry, but these codes are for the mechanics or for the end consumer? For the mechanic. For the mechanic. Yes, okay. I'm just talking about mechanic advocacy. Got it. Because okay. as I said, the brand was very, very strong for consumers. We were working on the mechanic advocacy. Understood. So this was first. Second is a lot of mechanics do not have formal education in India. They learn on the job hmm. and the mechanic tech, the technology of engines is always changing. Hmm. So we undertook a big program to educate mechanics on, on changing technology. And third was giving respect to the profession because today a mechanic does not want his son to be a mechanic. Right. And that was an insight I got when I talked to several of them. And to give that profession, we actually did a platform called Super Mechanic which is about recognizing the best mechanics. And this was, this became almost like a reality show hmm. where best mechanics in India were recognized. Right. So this was a big bet that I took uh, and we persisted with it and we got great results, right? And, and the testimony to that is, you know, when uh, uh, I, I was uh, in the market, several mechanics told me how their lives have been touched. So someone talked about how he's been able to marry off his daughter, uh, you know, using what we did or hmm. how his family or relatives now look at him, how he's become an expert in, in his community of mechanics. Got it. So what I'm, one thing that I'm, is ringing to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is ringing to me that even in a volatile world, you, you kind of, you know, you, 
you remove, you dissect, you dissect, you dissect and then you arrive at saying that okay there is actually a common factor across this entire volatile market. In this case the common factor is my mechanic advocacy which will, which, which is common across all these volatile factors but if I focus on this, this will drive my business in a big way. So it's really a, it's a game of patience and observation and patience observation while at the same time you're performing on your, you know, business as usual. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, coming back now to the, to the link between sales and marketing, you know, you said that uh, you made an interesting point about the sales bit gets you to know the consumer. And again, in this spirit of the big bets of the conversation where we are going, um, at a sales level, you are often trying to convince that retailer to stock your product more and move your product more. And at the marketing level, if I understand correctly, what you are doing effectively is that you are amplifying that across tens of thousands of millions of consumers to say go and buy and ask for this product more. So here is, you know, you give a very strong input about stand there, watch then go from the surface level to the root issue, solve for that root issue, whether it's availability, whether it's product, whether it's price, whether it's margin, you know, then that's, then you grow territory and you kind of build that. Um, marketing is slightly different. So fundamentally, what's the other, you know, like, what's, like you've given some really good roots here. What's the other roots on the marketing side that you've learned? Sorry, come again. So on, on the sales side, it's about influencing this guy to stock your product more. Right. Um, so what I'm trying to now draw the parallel of the story is that when you're in the sales seat versus in your marketing seat, you know, what's the, what's the difference in perspective that you would be having and what's the difference in perspective you bring to the table when you're, when you're doing the work on the marketing side. Right. So I think first of all, in marketing, when you talk about, you know, four P's of marketing, so uh, you understand the, the cust customer's needs. Hmm. And as I said about is his or her interaction with the product hmm. and then you're looking at all four P's and saying which P do I need to solve? Where is the problem and what do I change? Hmm. Right? For sales it is it is pretty similar but I would say for marketing it is more complex hmm. because for sales it is sort of more targeted. Right? right? For marketing in a 24-hour in a consumer uh, sort of day, a consumer is exposed to a lot of messages. Hmm. Right? And not only from you, but also from competition because they are also up to something. Yeah. So once you decide your strategy, once you decide which piece to activate, then how is also a bigger question. In sales, it's much more linear, it is easier. Hmm. But then choice of those different media vehicles on how you target the consumer is, is, is really important. So it's not only important to understand the needs of the consumer, but it's also important to understand that 24-hour clock of the consumer hmm. and see, especially in, in an environment like this today, when there is so much clutter of whatever P you want to activate, whatever the key message you want to give, hmm. what are the ways of giving that message to consumer? Hmm. And that's why marketing is, is slightly more evolved, where you look at only not only arriving at the strategy, but also about communicating that message to the consumer. Got it. Now, you know, it's so interesting that you speak about the four P's and that you may not need to activate all the four P's and often the common conception, perception rather, is that, you know, promotion is a large part of marketing. Um, in your career, has there ever been ever, you know, a product that you moved without promotion in a big way? Oh, yes, ab absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, promotion is, is very tactical, uh, it can give you short term benefits, hmm. but in fact a lot of uh, brands that I have worked on hmm. have been uh, market leader brands, hmm. right? And on, on those market leader brands, on all of them we charged a significant premium to competition. Hmm. Uh, the promotions were much lesser and, and that is really about the strategy. Hmm. I believe if you have a great product, if you have a strong proposition, then it is about making, then you don't really need uh, the promotions. So a lot of times, in fact, uh, in fact, even in the market, hmm. people say, but aapke product pe promotion nahi hai. Hmm. But then I say, but you know, people are still buying it, right? Yeah. And do people really believe it's a better product? People say yes. Hmm. Or you, you do that trick by standing there. Hmm. And even if there are no promotions on your product, there is nothing free. Hmm. Consumers still come and ask your product. Right. So I think as a marketeer, 
it's about your strategy it's about finding that right balance but yes of course uh, if you're a challenger brand if you really want to uh, establish your position and, and challenge the market leader hmm. you may give more weightage to the promotions in short term right. but short promotions cannot be your medium term strategy right. right because the consumer that is coming to you because of the promotions right. when the promotion is off he or she will also go very quickly hmm. so i think it's just about finding that right balance i would not say promotions are bad but yes promotions cannot be your strategy it's, it's just one enabler especially for short term got it and what about you know where's the role of um, brand and advertising in the midst of all of this you know how does how does that really shape itself up uh, how important is that for companies and how important is is brand for companies especially when it comes to you know having that market leadership position where companies uh, where consumers come and ask for your product so you know you like you said you mentioned you you've held and managed the portfolios of extremely large brands market leader brands um so how important is brand in that and how do you constantly monitor the health of the brand yeah so i think it's it's the most critical and i'm a marketeer right uh, so i would say building a strong brand is the most important thing everyone sort of everything happens later hmm. right because if you have a strong brand uh, see people believe that the pull and push are different things hmm. but if you build a strong brand automatically you will see distribution increasing because people will come and ask for it hmm. so i i think building a strong brand is the single biggest strategy right can people just sort of build distribution without having a strong brand yes they will pick up a share right one or two percent market share but if you have a vision of being the market leader hmm. i think the mind measures come first so yeah. as a marketer what you measuring is not only uh, statistics like market share etc which which i believe are output matrices but you also measure the input matrices like mind measures hmm. and often you know your mind measures have to be higher than your market share hmm. right so that indicates that you have an opportunity to grow further consolidate your position okay. better or sometimes you are a market leader you holding on to your market share but your mind measures start falling right right and and that's like a, a red signal right. that you need to do something right. otherwise you will start losing share understood understood and you know uh, i know it's a very complex question but if you have to simplify it you know uh, this business of building a brand what are some of the pillars that you have always subscribed to when it is building and maintaining strong brands okay that that's that's not a very easy question yeah so i think in in terms of building the brand first is if you are of course have a new brand hmm. right so how you create the brand identity itself and it starts with brand name it starts with the brand logo it starts with a very strong visual identity that is used consistently also you know audio we know jingles and so on it has been spoken of consistently hmm. so how do you build that brand and having built that how do you use that consistently Hmm. because you know a lot of times a brand manager as they often say gets bored of you know he is or her creative hmm. uh, earlier than the consumers do so there is always a bias for doing something new right but i would say people need to guard against that bias hmm. so first of all you don't need to change creatives or you you cannot change the soul of the brand very very often there has to be that consistency and in every communication so hmm. let be tv or digital point of sale and so on there needs to be that consistency in the brand messaging hmm. and and often the one test for that is is as you mentioned brand and you know you say brand and ask the consumers what comes to your mind and if people start saying consistent things people starts using the same words hmm. that's really the test that you're building a brand that stands for something understood okay yeah that's a that's a good simple way to answer a complex question um, you know and when coming to brands i think in the world of building brands you are very heavily awarded marketer in you know across your career there's been uh, pieces of work and i think your most famous work is a trakasna most awarded piece of work uh, so so i have two questions here one is maybe you can talk us a bit through that work and you know where the genesis of that came from and you know how you bringing together your insight of watching customer and then you know this 
this this wisdom of building brand and how that comes together to create a winning you know program in that sense uh, so that's that's one and second is how do you manage your teams to be able to do that you know so what do you what do you do with that so these were my like my two questions on on this front yeah so sure so talking about uh, the brand so if if the audience does not know about the brand and the campaign i'll just talk a bit about that so castrol crb is a brand uh, of engine oil for truckers and what it does it helps improve the engine life of trucks right but that's trucks hmm. what about the truckers hmm. and in india a lot of truckers actually spend a lot of time in their trucks hmm. so when uh, me and my team went around and spoke to a lot of truckers you know often we we saw them having issues right of of back pain neck pain right and and you understand when you talk to them a lot of them sleep in their trucks hmm. right and their health really suffers so we said okay the brand is known for helping trucks how about helping the truckers hmm. and and that's why in association with uh, a reputed yoga institute we actually made special yogasans for truckers right and you will say okay yogasans for truckers when are they going to do it so you have to make it really simple we did something that can be integrated very easily in their daily lives so when they take a break or you know just next to the truck and so on and then we started communicating that to truckers through different campaigns and again we consistent we did we did tv uh, we did a lot of events to actually educate them we put some of them on the pack itself hmm. and then consumers started understanding the benefit of that and and we we, we felt very very proud about making difference not only to the, to the trucks hmm. but to truckers as well right hmm. and and awards i believe is really an outcome of of good work that you do for the consumers hmm. and uh, you know the consumers really reward you through market share and the industry and and your colleagues award you through uh, you know reward you through the awards right hmm. so i think th- that that's really an outcome of good work but in terms of managing team my mantra is is very simple i think uh, now you know in terms of awards you really need to be passionate to be wanting that award right mm. every actor is is passionate about his acting right to win an oscar mm. right or you know every sports person wants to get that medal for the country because he's passionate mm. and similarly uh, every marketer has to be passionate about doing great work mm. that makes a lot of difference to the consumers and also gets the brand recognition that it deserves and my mantra is really get the right people who are passionate about their work show vision uh look at some big ideas right and then leave it to them and and i'm i've been very fortunate to have recruited the right people who are very passionate and very capable hmm. and once i understand they're passionate and once we decide the big idea often they've really run with it and 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 did very very well so opening now three more doorways you know you spoke about uh, you spoke about putting your might behind the idea and that's where it's a big money investment decision from a media standpoint so i want to talk and explore a bit about that you know uh, what are some of the things you do before you decide to put the tap on on media uh, because that's a big you know it's a big risk decision in that sense for the company it has to deliver growth so that's one uh, linked to media is this attitude of the sportsman and you know uh, i want to touch a bit upon sports you've been a big pioneer of sports sponsorships through your career um you know so maybe we can touch a bit on that and the third part is about teams and recruiting teams and managing teams so I'll maybe try to take the conversation there uh you know as we as we go along so the first part is you know yes there is product and there's superiority of product and you can make the product fit by fitting with the you know needs of the consumer uh and then you spoke about how brand is actually one of the big important factors to create a pull to drive more distribution uh one of the ways that brand gets built is of course positive word of mouth by customers but it's also about you know the visibility that the brand creates and that's often the big money decision with respect to marketing you know that's where a large chunk of your marketing investments are spent um you also spoken about consistency of messaging and you know really resonating with the consumer what else do you you know let's say you was you about to spend 50 crore or 70 crore or 100 crore behind a campaign and you have to just sign off on that kind of you know that i am going to spend this much money um what are the other checks that you make before signing signing that off 
So first is, of course, have a good media agency in place and they do present a lot of KPIs. But I think the first and, and most important thing is understanding the media habits of the consumers. Hmm. And it's only when you know you go out there, talk to consumers, and often when I talk to consumers, I always try to understand their media habits, hmm. right? And say, okay, kya karte hai? TV dekhte hai kabhi? TV pe kya dekhte hai? Hmm. Kya pasand hai? Hmm. Right? Movie dekhi, kiski movie dekhte hai? News hmm. sunte hai, kaun sa news sunte hai? Hmm. Right? You always keep on doing that. So when the media agency presents, and of course, they, they, they do a presentation that's really based on facts, hmm. but it really validates a lot of things that you know already. Right. Right? And, and that's really, you know, what we do uh, sort of combining the insights that you have from the data that a media agency presents. And mm. a lot of times it's, it's really about an objective, right? And media agencies know that well. Do you really want to make a splash in like two weeks mm. or do you want to have a targeted reach in a period of two or three months? It really depends on the objectives, which depends on the objectives of the brand, how aggressive you want to be. So if you have that objective clear and... So and do you choose different mediums, sorry to cut you, but do you choose different mediums depending on the objective? Like if you want a short term sales promotion boost, then do you choose a different medium versus if you want to build brand, do you choose a different medium and you know, what are some of those wisdom that you have gathered over the years on that? Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, if it is a, if you're launching a new brand, right, then you need a campaign of a specific period, right, of at least a few weeks, hmm. a consistent campaign to build that kind of reach. And then, then the, you follow it up with a campaign after a couple of months and, you know, then another phase and so on. And you need to do that planning initially at the beginning itself for at least your 12 to 24 months. I think that is really the key. Hmm. But as you rightly said, if you're doing a promotion, then it's just about communicating that message because see, if it's a promotion, then you start building a distribution, right? Hmm. Then once you have the distribution, it's really about most consumers knowing that the promotion is, is there hmm. in the first seven to eight days. Hmm. So your objective is to make maximum noise in the first one or two weeks right. so that consumers understand about the promotion and then go to the shop and ask. Right. So absolutely, depending on your objective, you do look at not only your media vehicles, hmm. but also how you phase out your media. Yeah. So many different shots in your artillery, some uh, different shots. And I know that, you know, coming now from um, how you spend the money, and I think it's a great insight that you put on. I, I think what I'm listening to you more and more is that uh, advertisers and marketers should be spending less time behind the desk, more time with the customer, uh, because it's where all of this comes together. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and you know, I, I, I want to actually talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your tryst with sponsorship. You've been, been one who's advocated a lot, then tempered it a little bit, um, you know, so I, and, and then there's, you know, of course, through that, I also want to talk to you about a little bit about your lessons from some of the greats that you had a chance to interact with. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to sponsorship, I know with Castrol, you did a lot of, a lot of World Cup cricket sponsorship, um, you know, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of doing sponsorship as a, as a means to grow the brand? Okay. So maybe I'll, I'll mention a couple of points uh, that you will find interesting. One is, I think, you know, first is, of course, if you pick up a sport like cricket, it, it just gives you massive reach, hmm. right? So when Castrol associated with uh, a cricket event, it just gave like massive reach. Hmm. But what people normally miss is it's not only the benefit for consumers, hmm. but the benefit for customers, because customers find it very, very exciting. And to just give you an example, uh, Castrol also used to uh, be associated with uh, motorcycle racing, right. right? Now you, you know, you tell mechanics Castrol is the best product and you know, it's, it's, it's uh, developed in laboratories and so on. But when you actually take a customer, if you take a mechanic to the pit lane hmm. and he sees a Castrol product being used, right? right? That really sort of the belief that he has in your product is, is unparalleled. Right. So my big lessons from uh, sponsorship is do not use it only for consumers, but look at how to leverage that sponsorship across the organization. So from consumer to customer to in fact, it can in, in fact, even energize the whole organization hmm. if you use it well, hmm. not only as a marketing tool, but it's also a great tool for internal communication. Right, right. Yeah. 
I mean, actually, you know, hearing you speak, it's, I think it's, you're the kind of marketeer that there's a few points that you've reiterated, you know, there's this, this singularity of messaging, consistency, this closeness to the consumer and, you know, linking the consistency to that, playing the media bet also that way so that you're able to build brand salience very quickly and then, you know, you speak about the, um, the difference between uh, interest metrics on your brand versus the sale and you know how that how that is is always uh, interesting uh, you know that's a good balance to always watch and it seems to me as i'm listening to you that you know you're kind of like cut out always for the really large organization because you you kind of have your almost like i'm able to visualize like a cockpit you know you're sitting on top <laughs> of the cockpit and you are uh, driving the ship that way um, so you know for somebody like you when you know, when you have to look at it that way, how do you maintain your balance or how do you individually, uh, you know, how do you make sure that you're always in the zone? Uh, because this is a, this is a difficult job, you know, you got to have, you got to deliver, you got to deliver always. Uh, so, so what, what are some of the things that you do to do, to do that? Okay. So first I will talk about work-life balance because that concept is, I mean, I, I don't sort of believe uh, in that concept because work is an integral part of my life, hmm. right? And I, hmm. I work because I'm usually passionate. Hmm. So I do not believe that work and life can be different, right? Hmm. It's sort of one integrated thing uh, hmm. in terms of what I, what I believe. But first I'll talk about what I do in terms of sort of keeping myself focused, hmm. okay? Uh, at least in the morning, uh, you know, these days, in fact, I've been consistently going out for a walk and it's a nice 60 to 70 minutes nice walk hmm. and uh, it's an amazing me time hmm. and again while it's me time it's not that I don't think about work hmm. right uh, in that time I'm often actually get to plan the day hmm. right a lot of times I get ideas as well hmm. when I take that walk hmm. so I think that has become very very integral hmm. that planning of the day and as you said it is you know, very, very complex, we, we sort of navigating the ship. What really helps me uh, is every uh, Friday or every weekend, I'm always looking at at least next four weeks. Okay. Okay. And people don't do that enough. Next four right? weeks. Yes. Next four weeks. So people suddenly realize on Monday saying, oh, there is a meeting on Tuesday and then they're not prepared. Hmm. Right. So I always look at at least next four weeks. Hmm. Okay. Sometimes even next three to six months. Hmm. Right. And say, am I missing something? Right. Have I not done a review of, of this project? Hmm. Right. And then hmm. would put it in the calendar. Hmm. So it's not just about living every day and planning every day, which I do, hmm. but it's really looking ahead and at least planning for next four weeks. Got it. Got it. And I'm just throwing this in because I don't know where it needs to come in. It's not going with the flow, but I'm just throwing in, you know, like, You've had a lot of close interaction with some of the greats, Sachin, Saurav, uh, your close friendship with Harsha Bhogle, uh, you know, as you are doing this stuff, like, is there some stuff that you picked up in your interactions with them in terms of how, you know, how they do it and how you use it in your own, own career? Yeah, uh, well, I, yes, I've been very lucky enough, uh, you know, to meet a lot of uh, sports people. Hmm. And I think the most I've learned from is, is Harsha. Right, because whenever he speaks, right, mm. you can just like, in fact, take a diary and, and keep on noting, mm. right, and, and the list is uh, endless. Mm. Uh, recently, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Glenn Magra, mm. right, and again, uh, what I learned from him is, is so humble, mm. and what he was saying is, in fact, uh, his, his wife does not understand the game, and he's so comfortable with it, mm. right, I mean, if, if I was so famous, I would expect my wife to not only know, but acknowledge it, right? Yeah. And the fact that he was so comfortable hmm. with his close ones, hmm. not, you know, sort of acknowledging that effort and sort of celebrity status almost, I think is amazing. That was a big learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just now dialing to uh, teams and, you know, how you groom, manage, recruit teams. Uh, you know, some of your teams are the people you've, groomed are now in multiple different positions. Um, so when it comes to grooming your teams also, I know you spoke a little bit about it, about, you know, setting the vision and then hiring right for that vision um, to dive a bit on the hiring right. You know, a lot of leaders, they don't really get the 
you know, I mean, I mean, a lot of us make good hiring decisions, but it's it's actually if you make those great hiring decisions, then your ship is, you know, it's got those extra boosters or rockets. So, you know, what are some of the things that you do to check that you've got the best hiring fit? Okay. So great. I mean, you know, their functional skills, of course, are a given, hmm. but there are two mantras that I follow. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the first mantra is I always say attitude more than aptitude, hmm. right? Aptitude several people have. Hmm. I always check for the right attitude. And hmm. what is that attitude? Which is the second mantra is uh, ownership mindset. Okay. Right. And when you talk about ownership mindset, a lot of people uh, take ownership for what they have done, their contribution. But what I value is ownership not only for their contribution, but great ownership for results. Hmm. Right. And when I recruit, I always look at these two things. One is attitude more than aptitude. And second is ownership of results, not only the input, hmm. but output. And I think, you know, that has worked very well. I have done recruitment errors, but I have also had a lot of success in recruiting the right people. Right. And once you got those recruits in, you know, there's a process of nurturing recruits, almost like how you nurture the market, you're nurturing your team also. Um, so, you know, if you Firstly, I think there's this, you know, whole change in corporate India where, uh, you know, you, you touched upon it briefly, your, your, your dad in a job for 30 years versus the job cycles have become shorter and shorter. Uh, so you don't, I mean, you're not, you, you're not even working with a five-year plan in, in a lot of cases. So somebody who's managing talent with a short horizon, um, what would be your advice to them? you know, in terms of in terms of grooming teams and making the most of it. Okay. So a few things again. Uh, so first is when I hire people, hmm. I always believe in getting to know them well. Hmm. Right. So my my relationship is often not very transactional, hmm. but I always like to, you know, know them as people. Hmm. I think that is the first step. Hmm. Second is the lines of communication have to be open, right? Hmm. If they have an issue or if they want to discuss something, they have to be comfortable enough to talk to you. I think that's second. And third is have honest conversations. Honest conversations not only about their work, but about uh, what they need to develop. And first really, you know, acknowledgement that everyone has an area of development wherever they are. Having a strong plan, really supporting that plan, hmm. and really an honest conversation that, you know, where do you see yourself and what you need to do and to give them that confidence that yes, that only awareness is not enough, but how do you help him or her to develop that and really, you know, give your complete support for their development. Hmm. I think those are some of the important things for development of people. Got it. And, you know, also while you've been working, you've been working with uh, Indian talent, you've also been in companies, large multinationals, uh, you know, with BP and with Unilever, where you've also worked with a lot of international talent. Um, so whether it's international counterparts or international bosses, you know, what, what are some of those uh, things that you've picked up while working across cultures and boundaries? Because, you know, we have a now a India today, which is going to be largely more globalized as a workforce. Right. So, uh, you know, I guess for the people listening, they may have some things that they can pick up from somebody who's already seen uh, working with a lot of international yeah. talent. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, people sort of often make stereotypes, right? So when I started interacting with people from different countries, you know, I was also sort of told about those stereotypes saying, you know, if you're talking to Asian people, they're like very family oriented. If you talk to Westerners, they're very individualistic. So don't bring up the family and so on. Hmm. And what I realize is, you know, human beings are all, you know, similar. Hmm. I think it's really about understanding every individual hmm. and how he or she is hmm. and then really, you know, adapting your style. So I met people, you know, who are Westerners, but very, very family oriented. And sometimes, you know, in a half an hour conversation, we always talk about families for first five to seven minutes. Right. Hmm. And the reverse has also been true hmm. where I talk to Asians who've been very, very sort of, you know, individualistic. Hmm. But idea is to, you know, sort of get to know that person better hmm. and human beings are all very, very similar in my view. Hmm. So again, my emphasis is, is don't be transactional hmm. because in fact, you talked about uh, dealing with people from different nationalities. Now in a lot of MNCs, you have metric structures, right? So someone is sitting in global, you work on the Indian market, right? And you are also kind of accountable and need to be consistent with the global strategy. 
right. So, what I do is uh, always involve everyone from the beginning, hmm. right. And no matter if they are, you know, Americans or Europeans or Asians, I think first of all, everyone likes to be involved. Everyone likes to be a part of it, you know, success and failure. And that is what sort of makes the, uh, the ownership shared. Hmm. So, I think those are some of the mantras that I do. And when you deal with people, especially, you know, with global teams, the mistake that people do is to do almost a common minimum program. Say, okay, what do they want? What do I want? Uh, Where can we meet? But okay. that's, that's not, uh, you know, great thing to do. Got it. I think what you need to understand is, okay, what is global trying to do? So, what is the global strategy? What is the global brand? But you are the custodian of the local market and local insights. Hmm. And understanding that, how do you make a strategy that is consistent with the global strategy? Right. If it is not, how do you involve them from the beginning and so that they agree to the tweaks? I think that really, you know, works very well. So involve them from the beginning, make people or make your colleagues, even international colleagues, a part of the solution rather than being a part of the problem. Hmm. I think that has worked very well for me. Amazing. Okay, so I think I've come, you know, it's, a, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the last 45 minutes. I think it's, uh, I've, I've, I have a lot of questions, but maybe, you know, we'll, we'll put this out and then maybe we can, you know, hopefully get you back for a round two if, if, you know, if a lot of people are asking for different things. But I think there's so many things that you've touched upon in this. So, uh, thank you for sharing so many different insights. I think, you know, there's a few things I will not forget and I know different, you, you know, people watching the episode will have different things to take out. But, you know, the thing you spoke about at the sales end, stand there, watch, ask five times, then go from the surface level issue to the deep issue. I think that's such a great example of human psychology in no matter what you're doing. You know, Absolutely. this idea of consistency that you talk about, you know, and the Trakasan example that you gave about consistency because brand being consistent to protecting, so brand protecting in another way. Right. Uh, the, you know, the person who uses the brand, this whole idea of how the awards come together and the awards is actually just a validation of consistency with a good strategy done right linked to the consumer. When you speak about the consumer, you're talking about going to the area of the action. You know, I think that's another huge takeout. So, uh, thank you so much for, uh, you know, I think you shared, I know, I know you shared a lot other stuff also about, uh, you know, uh, about grooming teams, about building teams and, you know, there's just so much wealth in this. So, I, I've had the chance to know you for a few years. So, I, you know, for me, it's a lot of what you're saying is coming back. And I hope that, uh, you know, the people who watch it will, will really, because there's a lot of depth inside each of the points. So, thank you so much for bearing all of that and, uh, and sharing all of that. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you.